Revelation chapter 6 through 18 is, is known as the period of the tribulation. And we're um, recording these messages and are going to make them available uh, on the website as well. And I want to make sure that I was recording this one. So Revelation 6 through 18 uh, is the period of time called the tribulation. We've already seen up to this point in Revelation chapter 1, we've seen a different vision of Christ than what we've seen in the past. In this particular vision of Christ, He comes and His, his, his eyes are different. There's a sword coming from His mouth. Uh, he looks very different in Revelation chapter 1 than He did in the Gospels, for example, because we are seeing the resurrected, glorified Lord, that all authority has been given to him and all judgment has been given to him. In the book of Revelation, not only do we see the outworking of the plan of God and the purposes of God, but we see Christ enacting his judgment uh, upon the earth uh, as well. John was told in Revelation chapter 1 to write the things which you see, the resurrected, resurrected glorified Christ awaiting um, the exacting of his judgment. Write the things which are, the letters to the churches, um, uh, the seven churches found in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, and the things which must take place after this. And we saw Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 are uh, the pictures of the throne room in heaven and the things that are taking place there. And when we get to Revelation chapter 6, we're going to see both activity in heaven, but the results of that activity in heaven will be poured out upon the earth. So as the church, we're going to have a unique perspective because the church is going to be caught up as we have looked out in the past. The church is going to be there when the unfolding of these judgments happen. And so we're going to have the view of watching the Lord Jesus open the scroll and break the seals, the sound of the trumpets, the pouring out of the bowls. We are going to see the initiation of that judgment in heaven and yet have the vantage point of seeing that poured out upon uh, the earth. So last week we looked at the situation in terms of the tribulation that you are not here. And we looked at wonderful words of encouragement to the church. You are not uh, here. So <clears throat> when we get to that time and that period in the tribulation... What we want to uh, notice is, is we're going to notice as we've looked at in the past, in Psalm chapter 2, the psalmist says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand against the rulers, um, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, His Messiah, His Christ, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And what we have looked at is we have seen that we are living in a day now that people are wrestling and fighting against the restraints of God. People are wrestling and fighting against the definition of marriage. They're fighting and wrestling against the definition of sin. 
regardless of what they hold to in their personal beliefs, they want everything to be a good belief and whoever's eyes to believe whatever it is that they want to believe. They don't think that the, that 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 God should be able to define sin. God should be able to put boundaries in place. God should be able to dis, to declare what is right and what is wrong. They are fighting to um, remove the restraints of God upon this earth. And the Bible says that in the book or in the beginning of the tribulation, there will be a season, particularly once the restrainer is gone, that everything is going to be great and good. Even the false prophets are going to be saying peace and safety. And finally, everyone is free from those restraints. But then judgment will uh, come. In fact, when this judgment comes, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 4, again, verses we've looked at before, where Jeremiah, the prophet, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God concerning this period of tribulation, says, These are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. So specifically a Jewish time frame here. For thus says the Lord, I, or, or, or Jewish context, For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see if a man can give birth. Who do I see? Uh, why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? And why have all faces turned pale? Now look at this. When you talk about the tribulation period, alas, for that day is great, there is none like it. It is the time of Jacob's distress. So this period of tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of Jacob's distress. In this particular context is a Jewish context, and the wrath, the judgment of God is going to be poured out. In this, it's a specifically Jewish context that will happen. And as we have looked at in the past, uh, much, much devastation is going to, is going to come, but... There's also a remnant that will be saved through that period of tribulation. And we looked at this this time as well in Daniel chapter 12. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of people will arise. Now look at this again. Talk about the tribulation. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. In other words, there is absolutely nothing in the world with which you can compare the devastation and the destruction that's going to happen during the tribulation period. There is nothing to compare it to. There is no worldwide um, event, not even the worldwide flood. Jesus didn't say it's going to be like, um, or Daniel didn't write under the inspiration of God, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah when the whole world was destroyed except a family of six. You can't even compare it to worldwide flood. You can't compare it to any period of judgment. You can't compare it to the Holocaust. And as devastated as the devastation as it was, you can't compare it to 9-11 as events taking place all over the world. There is not an event that you can point to in any of its devastation and its devastating effects upon the world that you can say this is what it's going to be like in the tribulation because there will there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until the time that that comes Matthew chapter 24 gives us some uh, some uh, even a broader scope 
How bad will the tribulation period be? Matthew 24, 21 says, For then there will be a great tribulation. This will be at the halfway point of the tribulation. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. The Lord Jesus is the one who is speaking these words. Nor ever will. Now, now look at what he says about this. Unless those days, speaking of the days of the tribulation, had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, let's be clear. In the tribulation period, when the wrath of God is poured out, in what we're about to study in Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 18, lots and lots of changes are going to take place upon the earth. Right now, for example, there are multiple religions. There are multiple uh, philosophies. There are multiple ways of life that people have. When we get into the tribulation and the Antichrist is revealed on the temple and presents himself as God, there will only be two choices. You will either pursue Christ, you will pursue the one true God, or you will pursue the Antichrist who sets himself up as God. There are only going to be two choices in that time. But the wrath of God, the devastation of God is going to come. The population is going to be drastically reduced. If you will remember from our studies in the past, in terms of the Jewish population, two-thirds of the Jewish population is going to be cut off. Only a tenth is going to remain in land. The tree is going to be cut. There's going to be nothing but a stump left. Isaiah chapter 6 tells us about that particular time. The worldwide population is going to be drastically reduced because of the death, the devastation, and the destruction that comes during that time. How bad will it be? If God doesn't cut those days short, no one would survive it. No one would survive it. And that's just how bad it is going to, uh, to be. Now, you will also remember that we studied in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, when we looked at the letters to the seven churches, that time and time again, we saw in there, and I'm just going to touch base uh, on this particular aspect. We're going to come back to this verse a little bit later today. But God, at the end of each of those letters, gave us wonderful promises that we call the, the overcomer promises or promises to the overcomer. If you find yourself depressed, if you find yourself discouraged, if you find yourself needing a word of hope and encouragement to help you through this time, to give you hope about what's coming in the days ahead, spend time reading the overcomer promises of Revelation in Re chapter 2 and chapter 3 because over and over and over when he says to those who overcome, I will give this, I will grant that, I will make this happen, make this possible. All of those wonderful overcomer promises are a wonderful place in Scripture to turn to, to find encouragement and hope in the midst of everyday situation and circumstances of life that get us down. But here's one of the promises found in Revelation chapter 3, particularly concerning the church. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance... Now look at this. These are the Lord Jesus writing. I will also I also will keep you from the hour of testing. 
Now, what hour of testing? That hour which is about to come. Now look, not upon the Jews only. Not in Israel. Not in the Middle East. This period of testing is going to come upon the whole earth. It's going to come upon the whole world. Now look at this. To test those who dwell on the earth. So all of those who are alive when the tribulation period starts. This time of testing is going to come upon them, upon all of those that dwell upon the earth. But what does he say he's going to do with us? He is going to remove us. He is going to keep us from the hour of testing that's going to come upon the whole world. And how is he going to do that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 15 and 16 says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. So the way that he's going to keep us who are saved before the tribulation period... I want to say it again. The way that He's going to keep us who are saved, us being the ones who are genuinely born again, regenerated, saved people, the way that He's going to keep us from the hour of testing is He's going to come, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, then we who are in Christ, who alive and remain, who are part of the church, are going to be called up to be together with Him forever. And by the way... He says this, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So these words aren't meant to cause fear. These words aren't meant to cause angst or add stress to the believer's life. These words are to be words of comfort, words of hope, words of assurance, words to press in there no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how hard life becomes. When that hour of testing comes, we are going to be kept from that hour of testing because He is going to call us to be with Him. And then we also saw these words, this verse here. Wonderful, wonderful verse. Again, over and over and over and over again, God tells us what's going to happen and what's going to take place. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath... He's not destined us for wrath. Christ, the God the Father, poured out His wrath on Christ the Son on the cross, and everyone who repents and believes in Him, their wrath for their sin has already been paid for. So God has not destined you, church. Listen to me. God has not destined you, church. God has not destined you for wrath, but for obtaining salvation in Jesus Christ. So the question becomes, okay, then when will these things be? When will these things be? These things will happen when God brings them about. 
the world is not spinning wildly out of control and going to spin so far out of control that it's going to find itself in the tribulation. That is not what's going to happen. In fact, there is a restrainer who is restraining even evil now, who is keeping evil from uh, uh, reaching its full potential and having its greatest impact. There is a restrainer that is restraining evil now until God removes that restrainer. And we saw this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let no one deceive you. For that day, the day of lawlessness, it will not come unless the apostasy, the falling away comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, that's the Antichrist, so that he takes the seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. So this day's not going to come, right? This devastation, this wrath is going to come when that happens. Now look at this. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now? What restrains him now? In other words, what is restraining the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, from taking his place in the temple? What is restraining the coming about of those events? What is restraining him is the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And we're going to see that when God removes the Holy Spirit, when God removes, some say that the restrainer is the church because the ministry of the Holy Spirit resides in the church. The people people of God have the Spirit of God living inside of them, and when the Spirit of God and this church of God is caught up, then the Holy Spirit will not be at work dwelling in the lives of the people as He is right now in New Testament times. He will operate again the way that He operated in the Old Testament, which is to come upon an individual to complete a task or a purpose, to enable, to empower them to do those things, and once that task or purpose is completed, the Holy Spirit removes himself from that person and on to other things. That's why, that's how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament times. And that's why David prayed in his, in his psalm of confession, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. As a New Testament believer, you never have to pray. You have to pray prayers of repentance we have to make sure that sin hasn't separated our fellowship with God, not our relationship. But we never have to pray as a New Testament Christian, God, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, because the Holy Spirit of God resides in us and seals us until the day of redemption. And he is the deposit, the guarantee of the fulfillment of our salvation, which is to come. But when we get to the tribulation period, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the restrainer is going to be removed and all of this evil and all of this devastation and destruction is going to come about. But listen to me, church, listen. That does not mean that God is not in control and that does not mean that God is not sovereign even over the pouring out of His judgments. As we're studying the book of Revelation, we're going to see that in one particular case that God opens the abyss and He releases demons. 
Those demons are released because God is the one who unlocked and opened them and He sent them out for five months. He told them to go out and He would tell them to come back in five months. Now, what if those demons said, huh, I want to stay seven months? They don't have a choice. God is the one who's in control. Now, they're going to go and they're going to wreak havoc and they're going to wreak destruction. They're going to be boundaries and limitations. You can cause all of this torment, all this pain, but you can't kill them. And I find this hilarious. God even says, and stay off my grass, right? Don't touch the grass. And guess what? The demons don't touch the grass. Why? Because even in the midst of destruction, God is sovereign and God is in control. The world is not wildly out of control during this period of time. God is doing exactly what He says He's going to do. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is opening the scrolls, blowing the trumpet, the releasing the bowls. He is the one who is sovereignly in control and in charge of every judgment that's poured out. The extent of that judgment, the way that judgment, what that judgment accomplishes, and how long it endures. God is sovereignly in control. And it won't even happen. It won't even begin until God removes that which restrains uh, them. So thankfully, you ought to feel like that time is going to be unbelievable um, unlivable and thank God I'm not going to be there. But what I hope you also feel is is I don't want anybody I know. Listen to this. Whether I love them or earthly speaking, whether I hate them, I do not want them to go through this period of time. In other words, rather than this look at the tribulation causing us to retreat from the world and causing us to enter into our holy huddle and look for the way of escape, this study ought to propel our evangelism. This study ought to unloose our lips with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This study ought to stir within us a burden to reach the lost at any cost. Because I'm telling you, church, even in the things that we've looked at so far in this study, and we haven't even got to Revelation chapter 6 yet through 18 in detail, but what we don't want is, is you don't want your worst enemy to enter into that time of the tribulation. You, you don't want them. You don't want them to do that any more than you should want your worst enemy to go to hell. If you say, I want the person I hate to go to hell, friend, you don't know what hell is. And if you say, I don't care about them enough to communicate the gospel to them that they may avoid the tribulation if God comes in our lifetime then friend, you don't understand the things that are about to take place upon the earth because you don't want anybody you know to enter into and to go through the tribulation and you certainly don't want them eternally separated from God in a place called hell. 
So thankfully, last week we looked at you are not here in the tribulation because church, as you've seen, you will not be here on the authority of God's word as best I can understand it. You and I who are truly saved, truly born again, will not be here during that tribulation period. But many people and even many people that we know will. Now, will people get saved during the tribulation period? The answer is a resounding yes. And we're going to see that there will be people who are saved during the tribulation period. There will be people who know they didn't get saved before. They didn't respond to the gospel. But you and I have family members and friends that we know clearly understand the gospel here. And so far, they have rejected the gospel with their mouths and with their lives. You and I know people, even though we tell them Jesus is coming again, repent of your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, yeah, 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 I don't need all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, leave me alone. I'm not interested. I'll have nothing to do with that. Don't talk to me about spiritual things again. And yet you know and I know that they clearly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet they refuse to receive it. They reject Christ in his Gospel. You and I know people just like that. You probably know people who say this, I don't believe you and people are going to get saved in the tribulation anyway. So when that happens, I hear you. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to follow it away. I'll find your Bible. You wrote them notes in your Bible. I'll find that. I'll go listen to to sermons online. I'll read theology books. Because right, because just because the church is raptured up and gone, all of the evidence of the gospel is left behind. They will, I believe, in that day, there will be many, at the moment the church is caught up and gone, there will be many who will now say, who have heard the gospel from your lips and my lips, and who have seen the testimony of your life and my life, who have rejected and refused, who will go through your possessions and your belongings, who will open your Bible, who will look at your study notes, who will listen to sermons that I've preached, and other pastors have faithfully preached, and all those things, and put things together and realize that the gospel was true and at that point they're ready to receive it. Now we're also going to see that there are 144,000 Jews who are going to be saved during the tribulation period as well. But when I'm talking in this message here about you are here, I'm talking about those within the tribulation period. What is it going to be like for them what's it going to be like for uh, them and I think you're going to see I think you're going to see that the perspective shifts greatly for those who find themselves in the tribulation who hear the gospel respond to the gospel read the gospel the perspective of what they experience and what they encounter and what they endure will be vastly different from the churches. Let me show you what I mean. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3, if you would. Now, 
in Revelation chapter 3, we just looked at this and we studied this greatly. But I, but I want you to see this because I want you to hear it. And I want you to see it time and time uh, it, it, again. Uh, it, it says that. Look, for example, well, I tell you what, start in Revelation chapter 2 first. Look in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Now, these are the letters to the seven churches. Um, these letters were dictated by Christ to the church. They were given to a human messenger to deliver. And what it says in, in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, at the end of these letters, we have these overcomer promises. And then it says this. Look in chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right? Now, now I want to be clear right here. This is not talking about he who has an ear. So everybody's not going around. If you have ears today, wiggle your little ears and let me know that you have ears. This is not talking about physical ears and physical hearing. This is talking about spiritual hearing. He who has ears, spiritual ears, spiritual ears to hear and understand spiritual truth. Hear what the Spirit says to who? To the churches. To the churches. So the overcomer promises are in relation to New Testament Christians who have repented of their sins, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and have been baptized into the body of Christ, the local church. And we see this all the way through. For example, look in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see that? To the churches. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the... Verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the... Chapter 3, verse... 10, pick up there because this truth only applies to those who have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches because they are part of the church. He says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now notice the perspective. This is the perspective of Revelation chapter 3. The things that are. This is not from the, re the perspective of Revelation chapter 4 and following. And specifically, this is not the perspective of those within the tribulation. Revelation chapter 6. So before the tribulation period begins... All of these overcomer promises, every passage that we just looked at about you're not destined for wrath, you're, you're, all the passages that relate to you be kept from the hour of testing and all of those things, listen to me church, those relate specifically to the church from the perspective, from the perspective of a person who has viewed their sin as an offense to God, 
who understand that their sin separates them from God, who have repented of that sin, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, put their faith and trust in a finished work on the cross, have been saved, born again, regenerated, and made part of the body of Christ. Those are the ones who has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, not the others. Now, why is that important? Keep going. Because look at what he says, verse 11, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name. Now look at this. The number of times my God, your God is in this passage. He says this, and we've looked at this before, but he says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. So all of these things, my God, my God, my God, my God, all of these things are written to those who are saved before the tribulation period who are a part of the church because Jesus says in verse 13, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Alright, are you trekking with me? Right now, where is the church? Right now. Well, you're here. Where's the church? The church is on the earth, right? If you're on the earth and you're part of the church, raise your hand, right? All right, where's the church? The church is on the earth. It's on the earth. Has the tribulation period started yet? This means yes, this means no. Has the tribulation, seven year period of tribulation started yet? Where is the church before the tribulation? On the earth. Before the tribulation comes, based on the verse we've looked at today and the verse we've studied in the past, where will the church be at the beginning of the tribulation period? On the earth? They will be in heaven. In heaven. In heaven. If someone who is here, so so you are, when the tribulation comes, you are not here, you are going to be there. When the tribulation comes, assuming you're a part of the church, beloved, if you're not part of the church, you need to be part of the church. You need to be bored again. You want to do that here and now so that when that day comes, and there's nothing holding it back, there's nothing keeping it from happening now, when that day comes, beloved, you don't want to be here when that happens. You want to be there. But I want you to see how different the perspective is for those who are here during the tribulation, who hear the gospel, read the gospel, right, uh, and, and get saved. Go with me to Revelation chapter 13. I want you to see this.
Now let's pick up in verse 8. Where is the church? Because this is inside the tribulation. The tribulation is Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 18. So Revelation chapter 13, where is the church? The church is not here. The church is there. Now look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. All who dwell on the earth... All right, so where, where are these people dwelling? On the earth. Is this the church? It's not, because where's the church? All those who... You got it, you got it. All those who dwell on the earth, they will worship Him. Everyone whose name has not been found uh, written from the foundation of the world in the book of life, who has been bored, who has ever been slain. Now look in verse 9. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to... No, it's not there, is it? Now, wait a minute. Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3, over and over and over. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here in Revelation chapter 13, he who has an ear, let him hear. That's it. Why? Because the church is not here. And because the church is not here, the church is there. They are going to hear. And what we're getting ready to read about, listen to me carefully, is not is not going to happen to those who are saved and part of the church here because the church is there. But what we're going to read about are those who dwell upon the earth who get saved during the tribulation period of time. They cannot go back and claim the overcomer promises of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. They can't go back and read the letter to the church that says that God is going to save you from the hour of testing. Why? Because that was written to the church. Now, now I want to be clear. I want to be clear. Will they be Christian? Those who get saved during the tribulation, will they be Christians just like you're a Christian? Yes. Will they be saved through the blood of Jesus the same way that you're saved through the blood of Jesus? The answer is yes. There is no second-class Christian. There is no other way to get the gospel. There's no other way to be saved than to go through the same gospel that you got saved. And anybody who gets saved before the tribulation or during the tribulation period will get saved by the same gospel. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's because Christ lived the life that we could not live. He died the cruel death on the cross in our place that we should have died. And thereby, He forgives us of our sin. He bears the penalty for our sin. And He brings us into the family of God. And He, and he makes us right, right with God so that when God looks at us, He looks at us through the shed blood of Christ and sees us in perfect righteousness. Doesn't matter if you're saved before the tribulation or after tribulation, the same gospel will be the gospel that gets saved. No such thing as a second class Christian. They will have all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities. They will enjoy all the rewards and all the blessings being in the presence of God, the promise of heaven, just like us who are saved before that time period comes who were called up. However, the promise of being kept from the hour of testing... The promise that we are not destined to wrath, to experience that wrath. The promise of escaping 
that awful, awful period of the tribulation is not true of them. They cannot on that day say, what about Revelation 2 and 3? How comes God's not keeping us from the hour of testing? Because let he who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches here, the churches there. So look at their situation now and look at their perspective for those who are here in the tribulation who received the gospel. Look at what it says. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now look in verse 10. And look how different this perspective is from the perspective of the church. If anyone is destined for captivity, well, to captivity he will go. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. If anyone is destined for captivity, captivity goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Listen, here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. In other words, they can't, in, within the tribulation period, because they have now heard the gospel, received the gospel, are worshiping God, their names are found written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the finished world, just like yours and mine, they can't claim the overcomer promises of God in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 because those promises are given to the church and those who are saved before the tribulation period, not those who get saved after tribulation period begins for those who get saved after tribulation period begins, listen, they will go through the they will go through that time. And beloved, as we already read in Matthew chapter 24, if God doesn't shorten those days, no person will survive. There will be many, many, many Christians persecuted and killed in the tribulation period of time because they were not removed with the church in heaven before it came. And therefore, within that tribulation period, they will experience all the devastation and destruction that's going to come upon the earth. Though when their life is taken... Rather than the unsaved person during a tribulation period who go through this horrific time upon the earth and then their life is taken, cut short, cut off, for them it gets much, much worse because they go from the tribulation period upon the earth, which is unlike anything that's ever been done, into the eternal wrath of God without, without any rest at all. An unsaved person in the tribulation, when they die and they kill, they enter into ultimately the eternal lake of fire and will be judged by God forever. But listen to me. 
those who hear and receive the gospel during the tribulation period, they will still experience tribulation. They will still experience the wrath of God. They will still experience being cut off by the sword. They will still experience captivity and all of the things that we're going to read about in Revelation. But when their life is cut off, beloved, they will join us in heaven and be with our Savior forever with all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of what it means to be saved. So, I'm going to ask you this question. What's worse? Receive the gospel now? Right? As this time comes, church is caught up. We view from the perspective of John, we see the events unfold in heaven, the devastation comes upon the earth. Or, reject the gospel, enter into the tribulation period, say, you know what, that is true, I do believe it, get saved because God will be working. And by the way, just because the restrainers are moved, doesn't, in, in terms of the totality, no one gets saved. No one gets saved apart from the Holy Spirit of God drawing them. So the Holy Spirit of God is still going to have to draw those here upon the earth in the tribulation to get saved. The Holy Spirit of God is still going to have to woo them. He's still going to have to draw them. God is still the one who does the work of regeneration in their lives, just like He does regeneration work in your lives. But they will not be saved from or kept from the hour of testing. They will endure that and go through it. My point, beloved, is this. If you know anyone, and I'm not even beyond saying that there's not someone here today that this isn't true about. I'm pretty confident in the testimonies that you've shared with me, those of you who have shared with me your salvation experience, um, you have a confidence that you are genuinely saved, born again. Beloved, you're ready to go called up. But if, because it's not, it's, it's possible, not probable, it's possible that in your salvation story, in your gospel sharing, you know the truths of the gospel, you can articulate them, and you can even put them on paper by way of testimony. But the reality is you've never truly been born again. God has not saved you, redeemed you. You have head knowledge, but it's never transformed your life. Beloved, on that day, when that day comes, if there's any confusion in your mind at all about where you will be, it will be clear on that day because only the redeemed will be caught up and the others will endure. If you are one, and I, am, I would never, ever, ever preach to cause a genuinely saved person to doubt their salvation experience. 
But if you are one who wrestles with the assurance of your salvation and where you're going to be on that day, when that begins to come, I promise you this as best as you can. Pray and plead with God to make it clear in your life even if it means you need to get saved. You don't want to enter into the tribulation from a church chair. You want to be removed from that. You want to be caught up before that. You want to know that you know that you know in your heart of hearts to the best of your ability that that is not going to be you. And secondly, you're going to want to go back to all of your family and all of your friends and all of your co-workers and all of those people. Listen to me carefully. And I don't mean to be offensive, but I do mean to be bold and direct in what, am I, what I'm about to say. All those people that you know who articulate the gospel clearly with their mouth because they were raised right, they've heard it all their life, or all of these things, whose life gives no evidence of salvation, beloved, you're going to want to go to them and you're going to say, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. And pray that the Spirit of God will give you the words to say and open the conversation. Jesus says this, you will know them by their words. <laughs> you will know them by the way they were raised. Mm -mm. You will know them by the Sunday school lessons they got when they were a kid. No, 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 no. Beloved, He said, you will know them by their fruit if you look at your loved one's life and there is no fruit and that's the consistent testimony of their life in evaluating as best you can you say well God said don't judge no 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 God says you'll know them by their fruit. We are fruit inspectors. God says this, if there is no fruit, it's because there is no root. I don't care the words of their mouth. I don't care the thoughts in their head. I don't care about who their Sunday school teacher was. You ought not to care about, yeah, 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 I know, I know. I've read the Bible. I've read the Bible. And all these, listen, listen. If there's no evidence of genuine salvation in their life, either they are living in total disobedience and rebellion against God and need to repent and get right with God and begin to right, do, bear the fruit of repentance and righteousness, or they need to be confronted with the reality that they, though they clearly know the gospel, are not born again. And let's pray that the Spirit of God would get a hold of them and save them.
before they enter into the tribulation period. How many, you believe Christ is coming any time, right? Do you believe He could come today? And do you believe if He comes today and calls us up that we are in the tribulation period? Worse yet, worse yet, even before that time comes, some other devastation or destruction comes upon them. And they enter, not into the presence of God to be with Him forever, but into the presence of God to be judged and condemned and separated from Him forever. Do not let your conscience rest on some false profession of faith or some words of testimony that they give when their life is not consistently bearing fruits of righteousness and repentance and evidence towards God. Beloved, pray, pray that God would burden them even as He's burdening you now to get that gospel to them and pray that God will give you the boldness and the courage to go and to share the good news of the gospel with them. Well, I'm telling you, they're hard-headed as can be and the church is going to be gone and they're going to have to go in there and I guess they're going to see it. They're hard-headed, stubborn as can be. They'll beat their head against the wall and I guess they just got to experience that wrath. Beloved, when we walk through Revelation 6 through 18, I'm telling you, there are people by God's grace who are saved. But what they're going to be crying out for, they're going to be wishing for death. They're going to be calling, right, hailstones from heaven to fall upon them and to kill them. And yet they will not be able to die being in the wrath of God. It's not going to be like that. So may God give us, may God give us a burden. May we encourage one another with these words. And may God give us a burden to go to those whose lives are not consistent with the testimony of their mouth and preach the gospel to them, call them to repentance, and pray that God would save them for His glory so that they will miss what's coming. Beloved, we didn't get to Exodus chapter 12 and Psalm chapter 78, but let me just tell you what it's about. In Exodus chapter 12, we read about the period of the Passover and the plagues come. And what we read in the plays is that God sent frogs and God sent all these uh, blood and, and all these things and ultimately sent the death angel to kill the firstborn son in every family who did not follow the instructions of God given to them and celebrating the Passover and slay the lamb and place the blood over the mantle of the doors so that the death angel will pass over. From our perspective, what we see is, is we see that God's Word says, we see that God's Word says that God is sending the death angel and if the blood is applied, the death angel will pass over that house so that the firstborn son in that family will not be killed. You and I reading the Bible see that that's what happened. 
what the people on the earth see is they don't see an angel. They just see the firstborn murdered. It's in Psalm 78 that we see that God sent a band of angels, uh, destructive angels of destruction, to do all of that. When it comes to tribulation period, from their perspective on the earth, they're not going to see the angels at work. They're not going to see the four horsemen. They're not going to see all the things. Those are the spiritual realities of what's taking place in heaven because God is there. All they're going to see is devastation and destruction and the wrath of God, the evidence of the wrath of God being poured out. But they're not going to see what you and I have the privilege to see because we have God's Word to see what is behind that and that God is the one who is sovereignly leading and guiding every step along the way of that. They'll not see that from from the earth perspective. We only get that perspective from heaven. But that is the reality of the situation that's there. And just like what happened in Exodus chapter 12 is recorded in Psalm chapter 78 verse 40 and following, that similar thing is going to happen when we get to Revelation chapter 6 next week. And we see Christ take the title deed of the earth, take that scroll, and break its seal. And the wrath of God began to be poured out, first of all, through the four horsemen. I look forward to studying this time together with you. And may God encourage us as we encourage and comfort one another with these words. But may God use this, right, to provoke us and to stir us up to love and good works and gospel sharing as well. All for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time and thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Father, I pray that you would increase the burden of our heart even to the extent that You increase our desire for knowledge and information about You and Your Word. Father, increase the burden of our heart, the weightiness for the lost souls that are around us. Father, I pray even as the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Corinth that each of us would examine ourselves to see that we're in the faith, that we know confidently without a shadow of a doubt that we will miss that hour of testing that will come upon the whole earth. But Father, I'm thankful that even with those who will encounter, who will believe, Father, even as Revelation 13 says, this is the perseverance of and the faith of the saints. Father, even for them, I'm thankful that it is a designated period of time that this suffering will take place. And it's a relatively short period of time that they will experience the devastation and destruction from the wrath being poured out upon the earth. But then ultimately, we'll be together with you in heaven for all of eternity. Father, lead, guide, and direct our lives that we would rub up next to the lost world around us, that we would ask good spiritual questions, that we would seek to hear people's stories and be willing to share our story of how we came to saving faith in Christ. And Father, may you use us 
May you use us to see men and women, boys and girls, repent of their sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, come to faith in Christ, and be glorified. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.